Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Get me the goddamn psycho who's responsible for this mess. I mean, shit, Tucker. What the hell's going on here? I mean, this is a small town, man. And small towns are supposed to be safe. I know who it is. It's Jason Voorhees. You're out of your fucking mind. You've been out in the sun too long. Jason Voorhees is dead. His body was cremated. He's nothing but a handful of ash. You know that for sure, Mayor? Were you there? Did you see him cremated? Jason Voorhees. Yeah. I can't believe this. Your ass is on the line here, Tucker. Are you getting that? You get me a goddamn live suspect. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey there. Ooh. Whoa. I'm Wayne Stellini, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Joining me today on this fearsome Friday... What's up, Kendall? Hello. Hey. I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How are you, Kendall? I'm good. It's good to be back in the Fred Shed talking Jason. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we're here for another round. Another round. Of Jason on this beautiful Fearsome Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, today, we're reviewing the first contentious entry in the Friday the 13th franchise, 1985's psychological slasher, Friday the 13th, a new beginning. Please explain. Still traumatized years after killing mass murderer Jason Voorhees, Ted White in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, an adolescent Tommy Jarvis, John Shepard, is institutionalized with other teens at the Pinehurst Youth Development Center, managed by Dr. Matthew Letter, Richard Young, and his assistant, Pam Roberts, Melanie Kinneman, located near Crystal Lake. However, Tommy struggles to settle in, experiencing recurring visions of and nightmares about Jason, Tom Morga. And then the staff and patients at the halfway house begin disappearing one by one. Attempting to get back to the franchise's original vision of being an anthology, this fifth installment of the Friday the 13th series is considered by Jason's fans as anything from unnecessary and forgettable to an underrated classic and just about everything else in between. But Kendall... Did you devour those damn enchiladas for Friday the 13th, A New Beginning? Uh, (laughs) Okay, so this is my first time learning that this, I mean, it should should have been obvious for me, but I didn't realize (laughs) that this Pinehurst was near Crystal Lake. Right. I mean, I kind of just figured it was... Another forest, another woods, you know, very similar. Environment. But no, I should have gone, okay, duh, it's going to be Crystal Lake. Because of course it's Crystal Lake. Does these, these things happen anywhere else? Exactly. Like, you know, literally those scenes in movies where you see like a pentagram on a map, Crystal Lake's in the middle. You know, <laughs> drawing all the points. True. <laughs> um, yeah, my word. Um, this, this is just, I just, I don't know. It's, I'm still processing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still processing this. I wish I liked more about it. I'm sorry to say up mm. front that I, I didn't enjoy it as much as previous installments, mm-hmm. especially because I really liked kind of the different things I did with number four. Yeah. A bit. This um, is definitely a, a shift in tone, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Very much so. And I, and I, 
I will give them kudos for trying out something new, trying out different story ideas, um, different approach to the series and mm. to the mythos of Jason Voorhees. Like that, I can respect. Just the execution isn't there. Right. I don't think. Yeah, I just really feel like there could have been. I feel like there's potential here in the story right. for yeah. a, a exceptional film. And even the kills in this one, and we'll go into them in more mm. detail later, but were they fell flat for me. Wow. Okay. A lot of them did. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, the acting all around was kind of generally better than, than previous films. Like generally the, it's lower, but like <laughs> there was a couple of, of, of individual performances that we'll, I will also get to later um, <laughs> that I you know, was like, okay, don't know <laughs> about this. But yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like there's just there's there's a there's a lot going on in it. Mm. There's a lot of characters in this, and yeah, it's just I don't know. Maybe wasted potential. I don't know. Can okay. See if you can convince me otherwise. Yeah. That's well, what we discuss. Yeah. As I said, <laughs> it's it's a bit of a contentious one. Yeah. Admittedly, it was rejected more in its day. I mean, it was very successful at the box office. So yeah. I'm talking diehard fans here. Sure. It kind of more rejected because. Jason is in the film as a psychological tormentor, but yeah. not as a physical presence. Sure. And I guess not everyone really was okay with that. You know, yeah. we paid for Jason. We want Jason. And so for quite a while, it's sort of just been dismissed. And I think even people who are happy to watch the franchise, who aren't really the, the, the hardcore fans, would watch the franchise and just skip over this one because they don't really feel like it's necessary in the overall narrative. Mm -hmm. And look, I can see that, right? Mm -hmm. But it's been given a bit of a break (laughs) over the years. I think it's been getting a lot more love over the years and is more appreciated. But it is still, uh, I think, a contentious movie. In terms of the story that we have here, mm. as I said at the top of the show, you know, they'd always sort of thought once they started making the sequels that let's have it as a bit of an anthology. Jason was brought back in part two, I think just as an act of laziness slash desperation. Because <laughs> like, oh my goodness, part one made a lot of money. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. And then they've done part three. Yes, they still had Jason in there, but they really wanted to kill him off. Yeah. And let's introduce someone a bit different. So we have the introduction of Tommy in part four. Mm-hmm. And yes, Jason is still there, but we see them planting the seed of making Tommy maybe the villain in that final shot of part four. And here they continue it even more so because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're maybe even left to think at parts, is Tommy killing people in this vicinity? Because Mm -hmm. he's certainly seeing Jason everywhere, you know, or is it really Jason? Because, you know, Tommy has limited screen time for a hero. Yeah. in this. Yeah. So... It's interesting that this story here, we can argue, is similar in ways to part one because the killer is a parent grieving the loss of their son Mm. who died being witnessed by teenagers. Okay, that's cool. takes vengeance there. Yeah. What they have done, though, more specifically, is they've used the idea that was originally supposed to be the third film. Oh, right. Because the third film was originally supposed to be Final Girl Ginny in a mental institute oh, and yeah. facing Jason there. Yeah. 
but Amy Steele was advised by her agent not to do part three, so she didn't, mm. and so they abandoned that. So the premise of Jason stalking a facility uh, relating to mental health mm-hmm. survives, um, but then gets a total rework. Yeah. So there are hints, <laughs> right? Okay. Yep. Again, they really wanted to focus on Tommy. So the director had two directives from the studio. Okay. One was we want a kill every six or seven minutes or a scare every six or seven minutes and make Tommy the bad guy. Okay. That was the direction. Sure. So Tommy was always going to come back. Yeah. And originally it actually was going to be Corey Feldman. Oh, really? Yeah. So he was actually going to star in this movie as Tommy. We see that he has a cameo at the beginning of the film. So Corey couldn't star in the movie. He couldn't do it because he was committed to another film. Mm. Kendall, you may have heard of it. It's called The Goonies. Yes, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> you may have heard of that one. May, I don't know. You know, it just sort of came and went. Yeah, just, you know, a little, little low budget. Little, just a little thing. Yeah. yeah. So he was doing The Goonies. Wow. So on his day off, it was a Sunday, during the filming of The Goonies, yeah. he was at his family home. Some of the production team came over. There's Corey in his backyard. There's a rain machine. And there's his scenes filmed. (laughs) In his backyard? Yeah. Wow. I love that. Filmed in LA. (laughs) But I love that he was happy to to do that and wanting to do that. Yeah, made it work. Yeah, well, to this day, he still has such a fondness of the Friday the 13th franchise and the the character of Tommy Jarvis. So it's great to see him there. And I think it's good to have the original actor there just so that when we jump to, you know, a few years ahead, mm. that connection is very easily made. Yeah, and definitely. The the small scene that they have with Corey as Tommy there is good because we can see that he's terrified. Like, yes, it's a dream, but it shows that, you know, this really stoic, brave sort of badass kid that had all of this courage was really driven by this intense fear that's where that adrenaline came from Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything two-dimensional it was there's some you know i think we talked about this when we reviewed the final chapter is that there's quite an emphasis on characters for you know the jarvis family at least yeah and i think they still try to push that through with tommy in this film at least so i found that quite interesting it would have been interesting to see what sort of movie it would have been with a younger tommy there yeah that would have been kind of cool absolutely yeah but we've got the Tommy that we've got. <laughs> yep. We have John Shepard mm-hmm. portraying Tommy Jarvis a little bit older, mm-hmm. um, probably 15, 16, maybe, maybe a bit older. Yeah. I mean, he looks older and they do cast older, but, you know, since they're supposed to be teenagers, is definitely no more than 18, really. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, uh, John Shepard, as with all of the cast, when they were auditioning, and applying for this film, they had no idea it was a Friday the 13th movie. Right. They were auditioning for a movie called Repetition. Okay. And they had no idea until they arrived first day on set. <laughs> saw Interesting. The Jason outfit. Yeah. Wow. So the franchise was already having this strong cult following. Yeah. And so they didn't want leaks. They didn't want, you know, anyone knowing uh... anything about it. So you didn't really find out until on the day. So John was a little disappointed <laughs> that he was just in this sort of slasher film. But you know what? He gives it his all. And he's taking over from a remarkable young actor by the name of Corey Feldman in this role. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on John Shepard as Tommy? Oh, I think one of my examples of unused potential, maybe. 
I feel like there there are a lot of good moments you get with him mm. because he doesn't get a lot of dialogue. No. At all. Actually, do you want to have a guess how many words he oh, says in the movie? I love this game. Um, how many words does he say? Eight. <laughs> and that's a bit more than that. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the film, he has 24 words. 24 words. Okay. Yeah. 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 You feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. He doesn't have a lot to say. It's very no. much more about his presence. It is. And, and personality. Um, I actually really like him as Tommy, but okay. what were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think that there were moments where he was just really, because he doesn't, he, he has to communicate with his facial expressions, mm. his eyes, his, you know, stature, what he's expressing physically. It's all in that performance yeah. really with this character in this movie. And, and yeah, there are, you know, more often than not, he sells it, but then there's other times where I don't know if it's, the direction he's been given that is there's like a for me there was just seems like there was a disconnect maybe okay like there's just some moments where i was just like i don't i'm not fully with him in certain bits and i i found it hard to kind of grasp like throughout the movie as it's progressing i'm wondering okay what's gonna happen what's tommy's you know what's his arc what's his character arc in this piece because mm. obviously they're focusing on him for a reason yeah but he feels like almost like he's in a different film from some of the rest of the things that are going on okay for me yeah, yeah, like yeah. a little bit i actually get that i can see that because he yeah. definitely is on his own path yeah and he doesn't really interact with a lot of the characters no. he's missing for quite a bit of the third act and i think he probably suffers the same fate in terms of the writing that a number of these characters do. Yeah. It's because there is no secret, or at least the filmmakers don't try to hide that they're starting fresh. It's in the title of yeah. A New Beginning. They really want to emphasize we're moving away from Jason. Mm-hmm. Not all audiences get that. It's an easier thing to sort of understand retrospectively yeah. because you go, okay, I can see how that all sort of comes together. Because A New Beginning could simply just refer to Tommy. It's a fresh start for him, right? Because mm-hmm. he's our hero. If we've seen the previous film, we know the character. Yeah. We're automatically on his side. For sure. Because we know his history. So I think what they do with Tommy, again, as they sort of do with some of the other characters, is they want to plant a seed that he might be the killer. So he's really serving as a red herring, right? We get that with Raymond as well, who is that farmhand who goes, you know, to Ethel and wanting a meal because Mm. he's creeping in the bushes and so forth. Yeah. So I feel like maybe that... where maybe some underdevelopment might be is because some of these characters are used more as plot devices to keep you guessing of a who is it. Yeah, well, not even that for me. I didn't, I don't know what it is, but unless I just came in with maybe this preconceived notion of like, you know, the the stereotypical slasher flick, you can't kill them and illogically they return in yeah. ways they shouldn't. Yeah. And that's how the movie starts. Yes. It sets that tone. And I was laughing in like quietly <laughs> yeah. to myself when that happened at the beginning. And I was like, I know oh, it's got to be, it's got to be doing because there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. But then, yeah, like as it goes on and I'm just, I didn't even get that vibe of red herrings. Like I was wow, curious okay. about Roy, you said, yeah. the, the paramedic. I was curious about him. He came across as very sympathetic, mm-hmm. I think especially the way he reacted 
the other paramedic was such a jerk about the whole thing. <laughs> he really, was, yeah. Like, I felt that, but I didn't... There wasn't a... For some reason, I didn't have a moment of, oh, it could be him. And even with Tommy, I felt the same. Okay. I was so did kind you of, feel like it was Jason all the way I through? I thought it was going to be Jason all the way through because yeah. this is going to... You know, this is one of... I feel like this would have been one of those slasher movies where the killer is just somehow... there and because he kept seeing him yeah and then we started to see him as an audience and i didn't put it together yeah and i don't know if that's on me or if that's on the the way it's been done look kendall i'll be perfectly honest for me when i first watched it 100 percent the same thoughts that you had sure i didn't particularly know how jason was back but didn't particularly care either yeah right Mm. and i think audiences were that way as well sure and we'll talk about the reaction to the film a bit later, but I think that impacted it as well. Okay. Again, we see all of these little red herrings, but I think you only get that retrospectively. You yeah. go back when you go back and watch it. You go, oh, I see what they've done here. Yeah. I see what they've done. Yeah, I feel here. like I might enjoy it on a second viewing. Mm. Yeah. I think you'll pick up on things. Yeah. Whether you'll enjoy it more is another story, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll pick up on things a bit yeah. more. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But but I actually think that. I almost want to say 100% of the audience. Obviously, I can't speak for everyone who's ever seen this movie. Of course. But definitely anyone that I hear has seen this film, my own experiences now hearing from you, don't watch this the first time round mm-hmm. as a who is it. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's what they've tried to do. So yeah. I think the film does fail in that regard. For sure. But because they've tried to do it, Again, I think characters like Tommy suffer a little bit in terms of character depth because they're too busy focusing on maybe Tommy's killing people. Yeah. Because we do get that bit where Reggie sees the bodies in Tommy's room. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of pushing that. And then I was wondering actually then in that moment, okay, maybe now's the time where they're going to start to think that it's Tommy because he has been acting a certain way Mm. and becoming irate and attacking people for almost no reason. Yeah. You know, that whole thing. And we see his incredible strength. Yeah. Throughout the movie when he gives Eddie that amazing flip (laughs) for playing with his mask. Yeah. It was incredible. It was pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. And when he beats the crap out of Junior, oh, one of the most rewarding scenes. Man. I don't know. I'm Team Tommy all the way yeah. in this movie. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I I wa- I, I kind of wanted to be on on his side. And I kind of was because he does give off that protagonist vibe. Yeah. Throughout this story, it's just I didn't know what the writers were doing with him until the end. Yeah. Because there was that moment um, towards the end as well when um because there's this recurring thing of every time tommy thinks he sees jason Mm. he like shuts his eyes or rubs his eyes or something like makes it go like has a freak out and then opens his eyes and he's gone right yeah and at the end towards the end of the film there's that moment where tommy finally appears for the first time in like half an hour it feels like Mm. and um and uh who we don't know yet roy as, you know, looking like Jason very yeah. much so, um, is there. And Tommy is just, I don't know if they were maybe playing it off as he's obviously very traumatized. He's probably yeah. just having some kind of, you know, mental breakdown, not knowing what to do. He just kind of stands there. He doesn't, like he calls out to Jason yeah. and all this stuff. But I would have loved to have seen a moment, and maybe it's cliche, but a moment of like, Rubs his eyes, shuts his eyes, yeah. and opens them, and he's there still. Do you know what I got out of that moment mm. when they're in the barn and, and Tommy finally appears? 
it's a call for me. It was like a callback to part four. Yeah, yeah. Where he yeah. calls out to him, and yeah. I think it's Tommy confronting his fear. He's like, "No, you know, you are here." Yeah. Right, because you've got Pam and Reggie calling out. Yeah. They acknowledge Jason, and so I think he's there to confront the fear. But of course, calling his name means nothing yeah. because it's not Jason, not Jason. behind mask. Yeah, 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 and that's that is really clever. Mm. I just wish it had been executed a bit better. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Tommy finds himself, you know, in Pinehurst. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and he's surrounded by other young people who need support and need help. Mm-hmm. Any standouts out of the patients oh, <laughs> from Pinehurst? I don't know. Any standouts out of the patients? Well, I I felt like Violet was my girl because <laughs> I was that alternative you know, I had an emo phase when I was in my late teens. Yeah. You know, I was that girl. And she's got the moves. Like, she's fucking okay. you know, popping and locking. You, I'm like, hello. Okay. Robot girl. You've mentioned Violet's dance. Now we have to have a dance-off. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Helms Violet <laughs> versus Crispin Glover. Oh, my God. <laughs> in part four. Who wins? Oh, oh God. For sheer entertainment value, Crispin Glover. Absolutely, I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Even though I love the, like the robot. Oh, movements. she has such a great job, didn't it she? It was very and, cool. And you know that's all Tiffany Helm as well. Like I think that's yeah. such a wonderful thing. She just um, brought that. Yeah, I saw in an interview that she said that. She even picked out her own clothes, so she really had that's a cool. development of character she there. She was cool. Yeah. Um, I think there's subtle ways that they try to flesh her out a bit more as well because they do give her. Uh, music to listen to mm-hmm. you know so she the character has her own soundtrack and again i think tiffany helped select the music oh cool yeah that violet was to listen to nice also we sense that violet has been there for a really long time mm. her bedroom is done up yeah you know unless sure. she carries all of that <laughs> paraphernalia with her yeah. uh, from you know place to place but she's very much comfortable and at home there Mm -hmm. so i don't know i think out of all of the patients really taking tommy out of it Mm -hmm. you get the most from her character i think where you get a bigger insight she doesn't have a lot to do no really no but in terms of a character you get to to know her a bit better than others i guess yeah you kind of get a sense of her identity yeah a lot more from like she's way more memorable yeah than a lot of the other girls uh especially that are there they kind of all blend together one other um character that i i liked uh jake yeah played by jerry pavlin i was very upset for him when he confessed to robin Mm -hmm. how he felt and that you know he wanted he was like i want to make love with you and i'm like no i mean he's so socially inept yeah because his stutter has obviously held him back totally so i mean like tact isn't on his side no so we don't blame him for that absolutely not but i agree with you i always thought I've never liked Robin. <laughs> you was, know, I was like, I was like, really harsh. Yeah, it was so harsh. Like yeah. he, you know, that was huge. That's huge for anyone. Yeah, you know, disability or social ineptness or mm-hmm. whatever you have. You know, aside, um, that's huge for him yeah. to just go. I'm going to tell this girl straight up how I feel, and yeah. for her to just laugh yeah. like that. I was waiting for a moment of like. Because it wasn't a full ball, like, oh, you know, you're, oh my God, you're a loser. Why would I ever yeah. do this with you? It, it was kind of in the middle of like, oh, you're being silly. Oh, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're mm. a dog. I would, wouldn't yeah. go there. But she never like, 
explained herself. No. It was just, she just laughed at him. And then he walks upstairs and gets murdered. And I'm just like, no. Yeah. And Robin herself, had, you know, <laughs> she did have some remorse just before she goes to she bed. She did, true. But we don't know enough about her. No. And if anything, I think out of all of the patients there, I think she's the least developed. She's just there. Totally. Really. Yeah. So I've never found her a likable character. We don't get any sense why she's there. Yeah, for me, I think she's easily dismissed from an audience yeah. point of view. Like, she's really there just to, for Jake to have someone to interact with and then she's just another body basically you know to be killed yeah basically, yeah. yeah but how about eddie and tina <laughs> the sex crazed couple the love birds. <laughs> oh wow my goodness they're a gorgeous couple let's be honest oh, totally stunning absolutely gorgeous yeah but uh again there's nothing much to them really <laughs> no it's you know similar very similar to robin in that aspect of like they're just you know attractive you yeah. know, young people getting it on, the boobs are out, mm. they're, you know, it's not a porn, honey. You don't have to moan so much. Like, my God. Um, okay. But anyway. Oh, Kendall, we will get back to that shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but like, but no, it was, it was fine. And it was, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's mm. these kinds of horror films. They yeah. are, they're always going to have that kind of gratuitous sex scene that doesn't really, and it wasn't, you know, it doesn't show really much at all or anything, but yeah, they, they were literally just like so many characters mm. in this film introduced to die. Yeah. Don't, uh, so many of the characters in this movie actually service the plot or story. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's the directive that Danny Steinman had. Yeah. Like you said, we want to scare, we want to kill every, you know, few minutes, every several minutes. Let's and we got it. So one thing I think that can't be faulted on this film is it's pacing. True. (laughs) I don't feel like you ever really get a breath. No, to be honest. I, I kind of agree. You know, if you get a moment yeah. of stillness to calm down, it doesn't last very long. No. So do you have to say, in terms of popcorn fodder, <laughs> it, it, you know, it does what it, you yeah. know, it says in that, uh, that respect. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, two other patients that we need to talk about mm. are Joey and Vic. So mm. Vic murders Joey and thus the chain of events are set in motion. Yeah. So, <laughs> your thoughts on Joey and Ick. We don't have a lot of time with them, but you know what? The little time that we have with them, we know more about them than some of the other patients. Very true. Very true. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. It was just very, it was like, it was interesting mm. uh, to me that we have uh, a kill not done by our killer. Yeah. Generally in these movies, it's Jason, you mm. know, or, you know, your, your, your guy, your hockey mask, whoever he is yeah. committing these acts. So I was kind of interesting that they, they did this. Mm. Um, I didn't know where it was going. And mm. with the reveal at the end, I was like, oh, they could have done that better, but that's fine. I yeah. guess. But well, yeah, it was very, it was just very uh, abrupt though. I will say. Yeah. Just, I think it's yeah intended to sort of just come out of nowhere. Yeah. And then when you've got Vic sitting in the back of the police car, you do get sort of this sinister music playing. You do. So again, if we want to talk about planting a seed, red herring, trying to foreshadow, it's yeah. trying to set up Vic yeah, I buy as that. the killer. 
I buy that. I, one thing I don't buy is the fact that <laughs> how how do they deem? I mean, surely Vic is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this maybe this is the first time he's killed someone. <laughs> maybe, I would imagine so. But I just that. What's that leap to go from just being a douchebag to just going? I'm gonna fucking put a axe in you, and so and then like and the same with Tommy. Like, why was he deemed fit to begin his reintegration into society with this halfway house? Like, yeah, because he's clearly not fine. No, I mean yeah. I don't. I have lots of questions in regards yeah. to that, but that's you know that's for a, a film, not this one. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately well I mean definitely Vic has temper issues right yeah <laughs> uh, I just want to know why he was allowed with an axe <laughs> that too exactly exactly right I just oh, look maybe if Joey had offered him a different chocolate bar it would have been yeah, it, was, it, was, it would have been a different story he, you know what it would have been great if he'd done it and goes I'm allergic <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> Mark Venturini, who played Vic, was actually considered for the role of Tommy, so I think that's a, ah, cool. a cute little uh, side note. Nice. But he and Dominic Brashear apparently got along really well Aww. behind the scenes. That's actually quite sweet. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that was really lovely. Yeah. But, you know, you can't have patience without the crew. No. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful crew they are. Yes. My favourites. One of them. What's up, Pam? <laughs> What's up, Pam? <laughs> the lovely Melanie Kinnaman as Pam Roberts. Your thoughts? Oh. <laughs> I'm going to trash you on it. <laughs> because you wouldn't be the first. Okay. Go on. <laughs> Look, she was fine in the beginning. Yeah. You know, she she definitely was, I don't know, she... She was doing very well mm. in performing as, you know, like this woman who's looking after these delinquents, sort of, you know, mm. these wayward kids. You know, she just seems like very friendly, very warm mm. and all that. And so, she, and Melanie Kinnaman does a great job with that stuff. When it switches to the mortal perils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. She spends a lot of time running and screaming in the rain, right? Badly, too. <laughs> badly. I am not. I, she sell, she's selling it with the scream, the sound of the scream, so you don't look at her face. <laughs> because she's not selling it in her face for me. And then the way, either the way she was told to run or the way mm. she just decided to run was, you know, it was so much. I felt like I was watching a parody movie of this movie <laughs> for a second because she's doing, you know, the pretending to take forever and... and I'm trying to run away fast, but I'm running away slow because, you know, we need to set up this shot of the killer getting me and all this <laughs> stuff. And, but, like, I will say that I did enjoy that she didn't just meet her end straight away Yeah. as well. I mean, I would have been fine with either option because Ouch. Her, her performance was just... Well, I didn't, like her, I didn't like her performance in those scenes. She was just... And when she's holding Reggie and she's she's like holding him weirdly and like moaning and I'm like and she's like it's okay Reggie and like Reggie just saved you bitch what do you mean it's okay <laughs> I'm sorry like what it was just okay we need to give Pam some credit right first of all she's very maternal clearly yes, she does very care about Reggie and, and I love that can we give her some points I think she is probably the first woman in a slasher movie yeah. that when she sees dead bodies runs downstairs and out the house can we yeah, give her nah, some credit? Nah, yeah, <laughs> no, I will give her. I will give 
her credit. She did very yeah. well on that. And I do have to say, I don't know if you um, <laughs> noticed Kendall, but uh, and again, mega fans know this because if you watch any of the additional material to this film, it's always mentioned that during her running scene, it uh, features probably the franchise's most discussed pointed out and laughed at continuity error. And that's the jumper that she has wrapped around her shoulders. Keeps disappearing and reappearing. Oh, I didn't even notice. I'm so annoyed at myself. I was too distracted by her weird flailing. I didn't even notice that the... Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to have to watch that again. Yeah, so I mean, uh, everyone always gets gets a bit of a kick out of that. Fair enough. So yeah, so not a fan of Pam. No, no, not not overall. I mean, I didn't hate her, but I didn't love her. Okay, I've liked other final girls better. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, her, uh, you know, I guess her partner in crime was Richard Young as Doctor Matthew Letter. Mm-hmm. Again, like he starts off quite involved in the story, but yeah. then sort of peters away when he, you know, it's explained that he's gone to to look for some of the kids. Yeah. Um, and then we see his grisly demise. Yeah. Or not really see, we just see the aftermath. Yeah, no, absolutely. Demise. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we see that effect. And again, yeah. it's there to provide a bit of a scare for Pam. I love Pam and Matthew's dynamic. Me too. They have wonderful rapport. Yeah. You can tell that they, you know, have worked together forever. Yeah. Yeah. I've always assumed they're a couple. I mean, they have different surnames, so not married, but I've, I don't know. They're either really good, really good colleagues, but I've always since they were a couple. Yeah, they give off that vibe very well, I think. Like, they just seem to have that kind of chemistry, maybe. Yeah. I think it's really strong. Yeah. So I enjoy their scenes together. Yeah, me too. You know, I can see how they make this facility work. Yeah. Like, I can see it. Yeah, you know, It's just unfortunate that Vic went nuts. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You know? Very unfortunate. More than anything. Mm. But look, I do have to say the MVP of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, for me, Mm -hmm. Shavar Ross as Reggie. Yes. (laughs) I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. I I love Reggie so so much. much. Yeah. Shavar Ross who was known to audiences in the United States, was in a TV series called Different Strokes. Opposite oh, cool. Gary Coldman played Gary Coldman's best friend. Nice. Um, in quite a few episodes. So he was sort of known there. Yeah. He loved being in a Friday the 13th oh, movie. Of course. And I just <laughs> think he is absolutely wonderful in every single second of this film. Absolutely. And when he is driving that truck door. Yeah. <laughs> Badass, and you believe it. Yeah, you do. He sells that. <laughs> he is so charming, yeah. isn't he? He's such a gorgeous kid. I love kid. him. Yeah, I love him. But, yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Like, I, yeah, every time he was on screen, like, you know, he was the he was the one I believed the most. Mm. He, he delivered his dialogue effortlessly. Yeah. Um, had a great presence on screen. Uh, what was... I've blanked. What was his nickname? Reggie. Reckless. Reckless. Reggie Reckless. <laughs> My God, I loved it. I loved it. And like that sequence with his his brother. Yeah, with Damon. Um, yeah, was was really sweet <laughs> and like and funny. Yeah. Like it made me laugh. Like I wanted more of that. Yeah. And I stuff. and I love that relationship between Reggie and Damon. Yeah. yeah. Really, do. you know, when Reggie leaves and Damon says, you know, I miss him already. You really believe that yeah. everything about their interactions was really, it was great. really lovely. Very solid. I do have to say though, that when <laughs> Reggie first notices Damon's girlfriend, Anita, <laughs> he wants to sort of be in the same league. 
and introduces Pam. And Reggie just, like, I love how he his character just changes because yeah. he wants to impress his brother. And he's like, Pam, come here, baby. It's like... <laughs> so good. So cheeky. Like, it's... He idolizes Demon. Absolutely. Idolizes him and is yeah. willing to grow up too fast yes. just so he can be like him. Oh, absolutely. You know, wanting his jewelry, for example, yeah. and to, to stay with them as well. It's great. Um, speaking of Demon, Miguel Nunez. Mm-hmm. I love him. Me too. I wanted more of him. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted more of him and his like Michael Jackson Prince hybrid look yeah. that I really loved. <laughs> very of the time. But no, he was, he was great and I liked, you know, the kind of relationship he had with his girlfriend and how they were singing to each other through the the, the outhouse. Is it not one of the weirdest scenes in cinematic history? Though? Weird. Weird. A weird scene. But but there's a sweetness to it. But for weird. For sure. <laughs> Sweet but weird. Yeah. Sweet but weird. Because I was like, why? Who thought? <laughs> let's, let's kind of weirdly imitate a Motown style song and sing to each other through while well, he's trying to literally... Do a number two because <laughs> of those damn enchiladas. Um, that run to the outhouse is, is just beautiful. It's great. I really wanted more of of that. Yeah, more of that. He, yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh, and I was very sad to see the demise of yeah. Demon. He had a great um, death scene, didn't he? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was really. It was quite scary, actually. It was. Yeah, and I think one of the things because you know outhouses appear quite a few times in the in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to why, and I know people will think otherwise or whatever, but I, but I strongly believe one of the appeals and recurring codes of having people die during intimate scenes, yeah. during sex scenes, is because they're vulnerable. Totally. And when you're in the bathroom, yeah. you know, when you're doing your business, yeah. you're vulnerable. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so whilst it might seem like, oh, that's a bit random or weird or gross or whatever, mm-hmm. It's again something we can all relate to, and it mm. sort of puts us in that position. Like it's scary. Like I went to a cafe once, cafe restaurant, with friends, and the venue was lovely, and the customer facilities. You stepped essentially what would be, I guess, the backyard of this venue, mm-hmm. but it was encased in tin. <laughs> And I'm not kidding you. When I was in there, I was like, Jason's going to get me. (laughs) Oh, the Lord. Absolutely. Oh, no. Yeah. I would have been like, I can hold it. Yeah. I'll hold it. It was just like, I was just happy to return to the table in one piece, to be honest. Yeah, very true. Speaking of Jason. He was here in this film, wasn't he? He was, in some form. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, two people played Jason, I guess. Yeah. You know, slash Roy, really. Yes. So, we had Dick Weand as Roy. So, Mm -hmm. that's the person that we see, the paramedic. And stuntman Tom Morgan was Jason Voorhees and Roy Burns whenever he was masked. So, Jason in those traumatized scenes i suppose in in the visions and nightmares and also all of that stunt work as well kendall did you pick up something about how jason is presented in this movie when it's a nightmare slash vision and when it's roy in the real world um there's a a difference there's a different well okay well i'm imagining 
probably the mask is going to be different, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when it's Tommy hallucinating or having a nightmare, mm. it's the traditional Jason mask yeah. with the red detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it's Roy in the real world, it's actually blue. The blue, yeah, yeah. So yeah. again, it's the filmmakers trying to tell you this isn't Jason. So yeah. they're doing all of these subtle hints. Again, Good. I think something you really pick up more on repeat, repeat viewings. viewings. Definitely. Yeah. But I guess Roy doesn't have that much to do because they don't want to put him too much in in the center but the bits that we see i mean you mentioned before that he was quite sympathetic yeah any yeah. other thoughts about dick weander's roy yeah no i really uh, i don't know i feel like it would have been nice to have something more from him mm. but i did kind of get strange vibes from him mm-hmm. during the scene where you know he's at the roadside where those two greasers essentially have been murdered. And I'm like, that made me kind of go, why is he looking all shady like, yeah. at the scene sort of thing? Like it was very different to the previous scene where we first see him. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to comment on, which is n- nothing to do with his performance. Cause I really liked his performance mm. and would have liked to have seen more is, I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe me or the film, but at the end when it's revealed that it's Roy like he's fallen fr- off the barn mm. being impaled which I, which was great I enjoyed that but and then like and I, as soon as I noticed the mask had come off I was like oh my god the mask is off the mask is off yeah. like, what's going to happen and then yeah when it shows you his face I was like oh okay right but then I was like he's got a full head of hair yep. not two seconds ago did we see someone looking like Jason the back of their scalp is is bald. There's yeah. nothing there, and it looks very, like I don't know, horrific. I guess, for lack of yeah. a better word. Do yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? Uh, when, and I don't know if this makes a difference to to your thoughts on that scene of his impaling. Yeah. When we get that medium close up of Roy impaled. Yeah. Uh, if you look around his face, you'll see the I guess the the prosthetics of the bald cap. Oh my god, I missed it. Yeah, yep, sorry. So you do, no, you do. You, so that's there you one, one thing. Okay, you see. good. All right, yeah. all right. Points back in favor of the movie. Um. <laughs> Not that it's going to save it really at <laughs> the end of the day for you, but you'll be like, okay, they thought about that. <laughs> yes. No, that's good. I'm good. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I missed it. <laughs> no, that's okay. I like Tom Morgan as as Jason. You know, as yeah. as, as the Roy double here. Um, yeah. I think he moves really well. Great physical presence. Yeah, especially in that final act. I think he mm. does a really good job. Definitely. Were there any other characters that stood out to you at all? Ooh, any other characters? Well, there are a couple of characters we haven't talked about. Go yet. for it. <laughs> the Hubbards. <laughs> Also known as the people that should be in the crazy, crazy place <laughs> and not making fun of the disadvantaged children. Yeah. Um, my word. <laughs> um, I don't even, I don't even know. I mean, Tell me you love Ethel. <laughs> look, I, 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 I have a weird thing for Ethel. She, like, she was fine. Um, Carol Locatell, like it was a, a very kind of comedic performance yeah she hands it up doesn't she it's very campy very campy (laughs) completely to the nines like just you know i feel like she's trying to act older than she looks as well i would say so heavily implied i guess but she's she's very entertaining (laughs) and just but just the weird shit she keeps yelling out i did kind of 
briefly enjoy that scene of like her yelling from the kitchen saying, I'm making you dinner, Junior. <laughs> and Junior's outside having a fucking just meltdown. Like, he hurt me, Mom. Don't you hear me? And like they both don't hear each other. And I like that gag. But then Junior just keeps screaming. <laughs> And you heard me when he he was decapitated. I said, thank you. <laughs> you know what? Again, I think we've all felt that way. <laughs> but what a great way to shut him up. Yeah. Great. It was so good. Amazing. It was fantastic. Such, such a funny gag. <laughs> yeah. Such a funny gag. I mean, yeah, they, they were entertaining. I mean, I... I, I, I don't know. I didn't really like Junior much at all. No, he's not likable He's at all. not likable, I know, and he's presented in, as yeah. such. Because um, they're quite grotesque characters, aren't they? Yeah. For example, yes, they live on a farm and so forth, but they're just so unkempt. Yeah. And they're so unpleasant. Even yeah. the way Junior eats the stew. Yeah, it was, you know. it was weird. It, or, again, another thing in this film that kind of felt out of place mm. for me, and especially because they're threatening to harm or kill or hack up the, the kids. Yeah. And like the police are fully aware. I think they probably just asked, that's just Ethel and Junior being, yeah. being them. The Hubbards being the Hubbards. Because like, you sense that, you know, the Hubbards have had their farm for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. The facility has been there for a while. Yeah. This is just an ongoing thing. Yeah. Because it's true. The sheriff is really dismissive when she totally. gets off the bike at the beginning. He's like, you know, hi Ethel. And she just is being foul mouthed and so forth. And he just, Yep, say what you need to say and move on type thing. Basically, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so they're entertaining, but just a weird addition. It's <laughs> a very strange addition to yeah. this story. I think, like quite a number, they're there just to be killed off. Definitely. But also because they hate the kids at yeah. Pinehurst so yeah. much. Yeah. They're potentially the killer. True. You know, like, okay. you All know, right. I think these, these are the intentions. Again, I think on first viewing, none of these intentions read or translate well at all but again it's when you sort of have these repeated views go okay i can see what you're trying to do there yeah yeah. and it's really from ethel's death or you know junior's death that the film then goes balls to the wall totally really so it says okay it ain't them let's go yeah Uh, so you know they do they're there for some comedic value definitely i think add really good value yeah (laughs) two characters i want to talk about yeah (laughs) are the greasers pete and Vinny? yes so there's a bit of a soft spot for them amongst the mega fans of friday the 13th do you have any initial thoughts before i launch um (laughs) my initial thoughts was just like okay i know we traveled forward in time but did we just go back in time Mm. um because they were very 50s Mm. and i know it kind of had a resurgence in the 70s and 80s with grease and like the whole leather jacket and Mm. you know the hair and everything that kind of made a small comeback but but it was just very they were full on they just i don't know it was very interesting they were very animated like very very animated very vocal and swearing quite a bit and that's fine whatever but but yeah like i don't know and i i remember when (laughs) Uh, one of the like, which one? Which one died last? Which name? Oh, Pete. Pete dies last. So when Pete got back in the car and leant back, I was like, "All right, so he's either gonna get it from behind up top, or it's gonna come through the seats." Yeah. <laughs> and I was right about the from behind. Yeah. But but no, I like they were. 
again, a weird, a weird addition, very weird addition to mm. the movie. They are, but they are, do kind of service the plot in terms of this maybe red herring or yeah. laying the seeds for for Roy down the track, as as you've been saying, and as with I, you know, I did notice at the time it was weird the way Roy was kind of acting. Yeah, he was um, a lot more okay with it then. And like, yes, yeah. those, their murders weren't as gruesome as Joey's, for example. No. But they're still polar opposite reactions. He's yeah. just kind of like, oh yeah, another death on the side. Yeah, of yeah. And it was just kind of interesting as to why why Roy decided to kill them because unless he was just Enraged just out for everyone now. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And I suppose if he wants to emulate Jason, it's anyone in the vicinity. True. So it kind of takes the heat off him. True. But focusing on Pete and Vinny. Mm-hmm. So the mega fans of Friday the 13th do actually have a soft spot for them. Oh, nice. Now, there's nothing in the script, nothing in the direction, nothing in the way the actors are these characters but a contemporary reading of Pete and Vinny mm. suggests that they're a couple okay <laughs> yeah because I can get around that as you've said you know they're kind of their look kind of doesn't gel for mid 80s and if we're going for strict timelines based on Tommy's age because we do have a jump forward. Yeah. Late eighties. Mm. But in the eighties there was a subculture in the queer community for oh, leather. Yes, of course. They bicker like a couple. They do. They do. <laughs> they do have this banter. They do. So after the fact, a lot of fans of Friday the thirteenth like to actually think of them as a gay couple. Oh, I love that. Okay. And Corey Parker, who played Pete, um, you know, he said, look, it's not how we played it, but loves it. Oh, great. And, Good. That's the right And attitude. was like, you know what? It actually would have been cool if they were in the movie a bit more to explore what yeah. their relationship was. Totally. So it's not an official gay couple on Friday the 13th. No. But if we want to do any retconning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Pete and Vinny. They're together. Together. Oh. And died together. Oh. <laughs> I'm even sadder about their deaths. Oh, that's, so, that's really sweet. So they do sort of raise eyebrows. It's like, who are these, who are yeah, these guys? Yeah, uh, But uh, a lot of the fans from Friday the 13th like to think of them as a couple. And it's sweet that Corey Parker is all for that. Yeah, <laughs> and I think great. that's really quite lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of couplings, mm. we talked about... Eddie and Tina before. Mm. They're, yep. <laughs> They're a couple. <laughs> they sure are. Oh, and they, they can't stop having sex and, and, nope. show, and showing off their bodies. Yep. Sex and nudity, it's not uncommon for Friday the 13th. No. However, it's... For this particular film... You mentioned the word porno earlier. Before. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> Some people just go, is this movie a little bit sleazy mm. in terms of the handling of sex and nudity? Mm. And I think it's a label that comes with this film because the director, Danny Steinman, had shot a porn film before. 
Yeah. And it was called High Rise and it was released in 1973. Wow. He was quite confident in filming intimate scenes. He enjoyed having a beautiful cast. Mm. He put a lot of attention on the females specifically. Yeah. For example, we even see Robin when she goes to bed. Mm. Bloody thunder and lightning and a storm out there and... And all she goes to bed is just in her underwear. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. You, you can you can see how cold she was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, so I think even if there were just any intentions to stick to the tropes of the genre, mm. there's a sinister underlaying because of Danny Steinman's background. Mm. So one story that does come out a lot is an actress called Darcy DeMoss. And she was actually originally cast as Tina, but she was either fired or left because she refused to do nudity. Yeah. In terms of Tina and Eddie's sex scene that we have, it originally went for about three minutes. Oh, wow. And after the MPAA gave their feedback, (laughs) the surviving footage is about 10 seconds. Yeah, you don't see much. Not a lot. We see a lot on Raymond, who's watching in, yeah. the, in the bushes. Yeah. But for the for the director, he thought, I've got a beautiful couple. It's time to sort of reflect and rest, or whatever terminology he likes to use. <laughs> but that scene gets a lot of attention because mm. of how much attention he put on it as well mm. in making it. Debbie Sue Voorhees, who everyone loves her because of her surname. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, who who played Tina, had to do this scene on a first day of filming. Oh, gosh. And it apparently took forever because also to apply the makeup and so forth on yeah. her eyes. Yeah. You know, so I think she was in a vulnerable position oh, no. for a lot yeah. of the film. She was quite young as well. Yeah, she looked very young. In saying that, I never sense regret in doing the scene. Mm. Or the film in general. Okay. So she also had personal ramifications for being in this movie, especially because she did nudity in the film. So she went on to become a teacher and lost her job because of, you know, some images that have been surfacing. I mean, you know, it's on film. Of course, yeah. Kids watch these movies. Absolutely. And so I think she lost her job two times, two different schools. Oh, um, no. Because... Naked images of her are freely available. Yeah. She's at peace with it. Yeah. But I think it's a sequence that wasn't probably the most pleasant or comfortable to film to begin with. Yeah. It still had all of these knock-on effects. Mm. A lot of years have passed. She's okay with it. Okay. But again, maybe in the hands of a different director, it wouldn't have been the experience that it was, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of hypotheticals, right? Very true, yeah. Right. So, I mean, yes, sex nudity is common in these films. Yes. But, as we always say, Kendall, Mm. we pay for the kills. Because they're the real (laughs) gags, right? Yep. So, yep, every seven or eight minutes there is a scare or a kill. So far, this film's got the highest body count with 19 deaths. Holy shit. If we exclude the dream sequences. Mm -hmm. And also has more deaths off screen than any other Friday the 13th film so far. Yep. Kendall. Do you have a favorite kill or practical effect? Hmm. Yes, I I think I actually it's funny that we were just talking about Eddie and Tina mm. because for me they were probably the two kills that 
affected me the most. Yep. Because a lot of the kills in this film are off screen, as you've just said, most in the franchise so far. Yeah. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's clear for everyone to see. An interesting choice. I'm guessing the MPAA had something to do with that. Um, Yeah. The film had to go to the MPAA nine times. Far out. To take it from an X certificate to an R rating. That's, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, for, for a... A violent slasher film there's just a lot of it that happens off screen because some of the things that we've really loved about the previous films have been the kills mm-hmm. and especially when you're you're making a slasher film you want these moments because this is what you've a been instructed to do by the producers it's the main reason these people are coming to watch this. They yeah. want to see all the different creative ways you can end a person's life. <laughs> Kill teenagers, as, you know, <laughs> Roger Ebert says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dead teenagers. But in this, it just, there wasn't a lot to go on. So I was even going, I'm like, what are my favorite kills even going to be? But the less is more worked, mm. especially with Tina's death. Yeah. Because of the sound. Oh, how great are those sound effects? Brilliant. Mm. I loved that. That was my favorite because, I mean, I didn't even... I, I was surprised to see that it, the... What are they called? The oh, garden shears? Yeah, those yeah. shears? Yeah, they'd gone through her head. Yeah. Um, I... And when I heard the sound, I pictured it... it the, the shears were around her neck and it had right. snapped yeah. through there. So that was interesting to have a different visual to what I thought it was. But the sound was so good. Mm. And then Eddie's death, not long after, was quite uncomfortable to watch. Because like, if that had been a movie made now, you would see his head crumble, basically, from the force. You would see all that. But you kind of... You don't really, and but I was I was kind of okay with the way they presented it, and it was yeah. I squirmed a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, you see effective. how much force Roy is putting yeah. in turning that yeah. leather, and then the leather snaps, snaps, and that's all you need, and it cuts a bit. Brilliant. You see blood. His acting is really good. Really good. Yeah, I I really like him yeah. in that moment, and I agree with you. Their deaths, I think, are the best. Mm. I think because both rely on sound. Both rely on the performances. I mean, like, Debbie Sue Voorhees has that brilliant scream. What a good scream. Before it happens. Yeah. You know, and then there's that reveal. And his face, I mean, I think even if we didn't see her eyes, his face would have sold it. Absolutely. Yes, we wouldn't have yeah. known it was the eyes. As you said, we would have thought, oh, you know, maybe stabbed through the throat or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But his reaction is absolutely superb. Like, I really yeah. like it. Very good. Honourable mention, though, does have to go to Junior's death because it's a reward and a relief to the audience <laughs> and it is so damn funny. It's great. <laughs> no, it's 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 brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I agree totally. <laughs> yeah. Look, as always, the kills got trimmed, right? Yeah. So Ethel's original death also got trimmed by the MPAA. So we see that, you know, she gets the hatch to the head Mm. and then she collapses, I suppose, in her beloved stew. Yeah. (laughs) That's a huge pot. She's feeding an army, right? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Massive. So, yeah, we see that sort of the reaction. I love the the grab of the tomato. (laughs) I think that that's really good. But originally we saw, I guess, her whole face crushing. Yeah. Really. Right. So we don't see any of that. It's still effective, though, I yeah, think. Yeah, no, it still um, works. And again, there's humor to it. There's dark humor that she lands in the stew that she just spat in as well, mind you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you nasty girl. Uh, nasty. Yeah. So that happened. <laughs> Violet has a pretty tame death, I suppose, for yeah. these films. It's a stab to the stomach. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Not the original death. This time round, though, uh-huh. they'd filmed an original death and be like, that ain't going to pass for the MPAA. Let's just do another one. <laughs> There's that side of it. And then others say that the original death was so distasteful that they're like, no, you have to do something different. Wow. So Violet's original death uh-huh. and anyone who isn't aware, simply Google Friday the 13th Violet death uh-huh. and you will see the photo. But originally she was to be stabbed in the crutch. Oh, Lord. Yes. And the effects then resemble menstruation. Oh, no. Yeah. So that was Violet's original demise. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Look, very bloody, very graphic. Yeah. Inventive. Yeah. 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 I mean, because we've seen men cop a machete very close by, you know, to that region as well. Mm -hmm. But I think that the way that that would play out, particularly on a woman, it feels like you're just making a bit more of a statement or, you know, you're trying to invoke something that shouldn't be held in a negative regard. Absolutely. I think so. Even Uh, though Violet arguably probably has the most dullest death, (laughs) it's better than the, the original um, idea. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. So yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting how much of it would have been left in the film. Probably nothing. Probably would have seen just a knife lunge and then that was it, really. Would not have survived. And I think would even be controversial today, I oh, think. yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like they could have... Why didn't they just think to go, all right, yeah, okay, that's the point of contact is in that groin area. But, like, you know, maybe, like, have the machete come up in the middle. Yeah, and sort of, like, slice her in half or something yeah, like that. Like yeah, like, imply that or something, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Interesting. Another element of the film, mm-hmm. very familiar that we love, Harry Mandrafini's score. Yes. <laughs> yes, consistency is key. And yeah. And he brings it every time. Yeah. He definitely makes an effort to keep the Jason theme there. So yeah. even though it's not Jason, he knows this, but it's like, well, no, we're presenting Jason. The Jason theme is evident all the way throughout. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that sort of helps keeps us guessing or tricks yeah, us yeah. Uh, really the score is on point here yeah, I don't yeah. think it's I don't think music is overused I think it's used to great effect I think it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah it works very well no I think he's done a really good job here yeah, yeah yeah absolutely it all leads to the ending <laughs> so Kendall mm. your thoughts on the reveal of Roy Bones mm. as the killer mm. I, yeah, I think it's a great little twist. I really wish it had been executed better. Mm -hmm. I wish they had kind of leaned into this whole red herring thing a bit more with who could it really be, or at least, you know, for people who are watching it for the first time. Yeah. There are, you know, certain things that need, certain bits of dialogue. Like, especially there's that scene where... I believe it's the mayor visits the mm-hmm. sheriff's office, talks to the sheriff, yeah. and he's just like, it's Jason Voorhees. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, one, <laughs> you've not explained yourself. Two, you know, you know you're in a Friday the 13th movie. Like, <laughs> that's why yeah. you're saying that. But like, I just um, feel like there could have been... 
I don't know. They could have been more done with that. But I did, I did enjoy like the fact that it was Roy. Like it made sense. Mm. I did very much dislike the way again the sheriff just tells us yeah what happened. The fact that it was Roy's son yeah. that was killed by Vic at the start of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, oh, he, I don't know why he never said anything. Yeah. He's a very quiet guy and all this. And I was just like, no, I don't, I'm not bought by that at all. I, yeah. I wanted better. I yeah. Think. I really wanted better. I mean, I'm happy that it's Roy, but it just needed to be handled differently, I think. Was it too exposition-y or was it just lazy exposition? Lazy exposition. Yeah. So you felt that it wasn't motivation enough? No, I, I, totally motivation enough, like for Roy to snap and go, oh mm. my God, I've just seen. Cause that makes sense. Like, you know, especially in, in terms of the way this franchise works mm. and what we've seen, what traumatic events yeah. will do to people in yeah. this film series, right? So it, it tracks in that regard. Yeah, it's well, just trauma is such a major theme because absolutely. we've got that through Tommy. Yeah, 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 for sure. I just wish the dialogue had been better yeah. and better delivered. Right. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It's definitely like, okay, now we need to wrap all of this up. Yeah, it you know? very much felt like that. Let's put a bow on it and done. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the resolution, I suppose, but it's not really the ending. <laughs> No. <laughs> because what we have is, again, the directive and what they wanted to do. They've done that from part four. Mm. We need to set up Tommy as the killer. Mm. So we have a dream sequence. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we end the film with Tommy wearing the mask. And holding a knife mm. behind Pam's back. Mm. So, <laughs> Kendall, we're setting up Tommy as the villain. Yep. In the next movie. Mm, we sure are. Does it work for you? Does it work for me? Does it work for me? Mm, it could work better mm-hmm. for me, I yep. think. I think, yeah. That whole end sequence was weird because... You know, it was one of those, like, we've had this established scene out in the corridor mm. with Pam and Reggie recovering and talking to the sheriff and everything. Like, yeah. that whole sequence. And then immediately goes into Pam walking to check on Tommy. So, obviously, the dream is kicking in when Pam enters the room, but we don't know that at the time. But I just, it's weird how it goes from the real world unless Tommy dreams that as well of her approaching yeah, yeah it could, could that's be what thing. I thought yeah. yeah it could be a thing be a way to explain it but but yeah like I just I don't know I kind of liked I kind of liked the way John Shepard played that maniacalness yeah at the end yeah I, I thought that was brilliant I kind of wanted more of that yeah. to be honest you've gone he's finally snapped yeah that's yeah. what I thought it was it's kind of like that transition to killer is now complete yeah, and yeah. that's and you you definitely get that. Yeah, I just wish the journey had earned that. Yeah, I don't think it fully earned that moment. Yeah. I love that moment. Yeah. I just didn't think yeah the work had been done properly. Yeah, one of the things that I feel is that we don't necessarily see why Tommy would be that way. Mm. Now we understand all the trauma that he's been through. Yeah, even if you if this is the first film you've ever seen in the franchise, I think. They explain that well enough with mm-hmm. enough exposition, the Corey Feldman performance of Tommy yeah. playing just, you know. So, but I don't, 
feel like what he's been through would tip him over to being a killer Mm. because he's definitely faced his fear. Whether he knows that was Roy or not, Mm. let's face it, he probably doesn't because he's been knocked out that whole time. And he's conquered him because he sees Jason and then Jason disappears. Yeah. So then he holds the mask. So we wonder... Yeah. We wonder, I, where did the mask come from? <laughs> Why is the mask in the room? Yeah. I mean, he must have collected it. I mean, we know he likes masks. He likes yes. to make them. So, But it is Roy's mask, though. It is, does have the blue. That's the thing. It's not the mask he knows. That's, that's, because that's the thing. They could have sold it. They could have spun it as Tommy has made a mask. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have been a cool kind of juxtaposition to his journey yeah descent into madness if you will yeah yeah you know this is what makes him the new jason yeah is him forging this mask sort of thing but then the fact that it's just roy's mask for some reason in the room (laughs) yeah don't doesn't work yeah doesn't work i've never really thought about it too deeply to be honest (laughs) it's like of course it's there Because I do have to say, though, that final shot, I really like. Yeah. I just like that image of him standing behind... It's good. Pam yeah. holding the knife, and then we zoom into the eyes and I love... No, black. I like that. I yeah. do. I do like that. Just what preceded it didn't make sense It just for you. didn't all work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's moments of just greatness in mm. there, and it could have it could have been better. If there'd been a better, yeah, better writer, maybe, or a better... I don't know, director even. Yeah. Things could have flowed a lot better. Well, know. in saying that, <laughs> mm. we know that he wakes up from the dream and then we see what we see. But is it reality or is it just another dream? <laughs> I was waiting for that kind of reveal. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm like, is this another dream? Uh-huh. doing Inception here, you know? Is this where Christopher Nolan got the idea? Like, <laughs> um, yes, I'm sure this film is that influential. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, was, I was wondering if they were doing that. But just especially because, again, that if it's a dream sequence, that might then explain why Roy's mask is there. Yeah. And, so, and why we've had this first dream of Tommy seeing Jason and conquering Jason mm. by him vanishing and that and then you know that laughter and this attacking Pam and stuff is, yeah. is is great and then it snapped to him to wake up again and then the masks there and then it's like I know what I have to do yeah you know I can't fight who what's inside me anymore sort of thing mm. so yeah it, it 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 does kind of work either way yeah I think I may may actually maybe even like it more as a dream sequence I mean it's kind of a cop out in terms of plot yeah and storytelling and especially because it's not revealed as a dream we have no. to accept it for face value yeah 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 well I've always taken it as a reality yeah and I don't know if that makes me like it even more or less to be perfectly honest yeah 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 um, but I appreciate what they're doing it's because again They've wanted to set up Tommy as the killer and it's now complete. Mm -hmm. So in the next film, he can go off and kill. The intended follow-up to this, Mm. Tommy was to return and so was Pam. Really? Right. Okay. So if they have some sort of altercation, she survives it. Oh. If it's a dream. Yep. Well, she's alive anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. That was the planned follow-up. Okay. Does not happen. Explain why. Why? What happened? Why? 
because the fan reaction was oh. negative. <laughs> we want Jason. Yeah. Okay. Bugger. So, not to give out too much details of what happens next in this franchise, <laughs> but I can tell you uh-huh. it's not Tommy the Killer and it's not Pam returning. That's disappointing. That's cancelled. That is disappointing. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler for you, Kendall. <laughs> okay. no, that's fine. <laughs> but let's look at the stats. Let's do. Okay. So the film was made on a budget of $2.2 million and it took $22 million in the US box office. But that's down from its predecessor. Ooh. So for the first time, we're seeing diminishing returns. Okay. Again, mm. negative feedback, negative backlash from the fans. Yeah. So repeated viewings and word of mouth. Not so strong this time yeah. around. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, the film grossed $8 million in its opening weekend. And That's it impressive. did open at number one. Wow. Okay. It beat out such films as the teen sex comedy sequel Porky's Revenge, <laughs> the biopic Mask starring oh. Cher, and Disney's dinosaur fantasy Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. Right. Yeah. It placed number 41 on the list of the top grossing films of 1985, and it outperformed other horrors such as Life Force and the adaptation of Stephen King's Cat's Eye released that same year Mm. as of this recording friday the 13th a new beginning scores 4.8 out of 10 on imdb Mm -hmm. 19 percent on rotten tomatoes 16 percent on metacritic and 84 percent of google (laughs) users gave it the thumbs up wow but as always kendall it's only your score that matters Your final thoughts and a score out of five. Okay. Yeah. Again, just to reiterate what I I said at the top of the show, I really do feel like this story has so much potential to be something greater than what we got. Like, I love the ideas that they're working with, the changes to the story, introducing an antagonist that we think is Jason, but mm. then turns out it's not like twists and turns. I'm, I'm all for and reveals and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, just descends into madness. And, you know, do we have a new villain? Is Jason really, really dead? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, all these questions and yeah, like there's just so many, so many great things that could have, could have come from this movie, but just the way that they're stitched together doesn't work the way they want it to or the way they thought it mm. did really and that that does kind of rest mostly on the the filmmakers i think more than the actors because mm. but again for the most part the performances are fine yeah it's only a couple of people i think that are not as good unfortunately mm. there are characters in here that feel very out of place they've only been introduced just to die which yeah that's what most of these movies do anyway mm. but in every other film prior it's They've just been teenagers or like the camp counselors sort yeah. of situation. Here we have complete outsiders who have just, it just happen to be passing through, just happen to be in the community, maybe get introduced in one scene and then they get, for some reason, they get brought back later and then offed, you know, mm. while doing cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's showtime! <laughs> I can't believe that was her idea, actually. Was it really? (laughs) Of course, the director said, yeah, I love it. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) She looked like she was having a ball. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot going on Mm. in this movie. (laughs) Too many of the kills are off screen for my liking. 
but again, not entirely their fault. It was the 80s and censorship mm. was a bit more rampant back then in terms of what you could and couldn't show, unfortunately. But look, Reggie saves this movie <laughs> for me in a lot of ways. He, he makes it so entertaining. It, he gives me someone to root for because sometimes I find it hard to root for Tommy because I'm not sure what they're doing with him. Mm. He's not a very strong protagonist. I just would have loved to have seen a bit more development, a bit more focus, a bit more of a more easily communicated obvious idea mm-hmm. as to what they're doing. So, I, but I'm still glad for having seen it. You know, it's part part of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, no regrets from me. So I am going to give it a two out of five. Right. Wow. Yeah. Friday the 13th, a new beginning. Well, definitely trying to give us a new beginning. Yes. <laughs> yes, noble effort, noble effort. Noble effort, indeed. Look, I do enjoy this movie. Um, is it the strongest in the franchise? No. It's probably one of the more entertaining, though, I do have to say, because I just love the pace of it. Yeah. I love the way that they do try to get creative with some of the kills and the gags here. There are so many characters in this movie, but so many. when you need to kill someone off every several minutes, <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? My hands are tied, guys. Sorry. You gotta die. You gotta go. Look, it's the fun roller coaster ride, <laughs> I think. And mm. it's it's quite enjoyable. I'm not somebody who's gonna go and call this one the underrated masterpiece or you know the misunderstood (laughs) movie of the franchise Um, but I'm not someone who's going to dismiss it either I always watch this when I watch the franchise I never skip it oh good I love that it adds more to Tommy I think you and I have totally different opinions about Tommy yeah it seems that way in this film Um, I love John Shepard in this I like what they do with Tommy I like that we do see the impact of trauma on him as well. If we compare what Tommy is like as a 12-year-old compared to how he is now, Mm, you know, in in his sort of late teens, it's a different character altogether. For sure, Um, He's been through a lot. Again, he's done so much, I think, to keep himself in a physical shape and in strength Mm. as a way to protect himself from future harm. Um, You know, because we see him topless, he's really fit yeah and we can see that he can (laughs) fling people over his shoulder and all of these different things so yeah i think there is you have to look Mm. but there there is there's a lot to him as well interestingly this is the first time that jason's full name is said in a friday the 13th movie so it's the first time we hear the words jason Voorhees, which is kind of cool yeah Um, particularly because he's not here physically yeah but what's great about this is that he has this impact on the plot nonetheless so he has a psychological presence i think that does add some depth they try to go a little bit different whilst keeping the familiar tropes at the same time Mm -hmm. it's beautifully paced once it really gets going it does not stop (laughs) and there are moments when it just gets really ludicrous but i think that just adds to the fun of it as well it's interesting because i know where this film will take us (laughs) and where it sits in the franchise and where we're heading next yeah but i think even as a standalone film and as a film that fits in the jason franchise i think it's actually quite entertaining it's a three and a half from me nice yep So next time, Kendall. (laughs) (laughs) The fans 
called for Jason. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if he will return. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> Exciting. Yes. So the sixth installment of the Friday the 13th franchise is pretty special in its own right as well. And I can't wait to show it to you. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, I've been Wayne Stellini. I've been a Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Fred Fred Watch. Blooper reel. Okay, cool. are we ready to yes. talk Jason 5? Jason 5. Or Roy 1? <laughs> or, or Tommy, Tommy 2? two. <laughs> I hope it's a good discussion. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm, 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 yeah. You got opinions. <laughs> you got opinions, yeah? I'm concerned. <laughs> Settle down, Ebert. <laughs> Okay. All right. We're good to go? Yes. Let's do it. Hello. Oh, you can join me. Yeah, Yeah, you can join me. (laughs) I forgot to ask. I'm like, shit, I'm like, you can join me. Bloopers. (laughs) All right. An adolescent, Tommy Jarvis, John Shepard, is institutionalized with other teens at the Pinehurst Halfway House, managed by... Actually, it's not called that. Everyone calls it the halfway house. It is the Pinehurst Develop. I was paying attention. Developmental Youth Center. Ah. That's a trivia point. There you go. Now, I hope it was called that. It doesn't matter. We want to fact check it? Um, I don't know. I never see it referred to that. It's always referred to as a halfway house. Ah. Like, it is a halfway house, but it's not its name. But it's not the official yeah. title. Mental Youth Centre. Oh, yep. Pinehurst Youth Development Centre. Okay. Youth Development Okay, you just like, got them around the wrong way. Cool. Yes. Cause Very I'm just, close. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> development Centre. An adolescent, Tommy Jarvis, John Shepard, is institutionalised with other teens at the Pinehurst... Attempting to get back to the franchise's original vision of being an anthology, this fifth installment of the Friday the 13th series, it's... Yeah, he and Dominic Brescia? Brescia? No. Brescia? Brescia, okay. The back of their scalp is is bald. There's nothing there. And it looks very, like, I don't know, horrific, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Do Do you know what I mean? Uh, when, and I don't know if this makes a difference to, to your thoughts on that scene of his impaling. Yeah. When we get a bit of a closer up on, a closer up? What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> closer up? It wasn't even a close up. It, it was a medium shot. A closer upper. <laughs> yeah. I have a weird thing for Ethel. 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 I can speak. So that was interesting to have a different visual to what I thought it was, but the sound was so good. Mm. And then... 
Oh, I keep blanking on bloody names. Eddie, and then Eddie's death. Mm. So the sixth installment in the Friday the Third. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> it's fine. We're almost done. <laughs>